Welcome to Creative MKE, a conversation show from Imagine MKE, where we talk to creative leaders in Milwaukee and beyond to highlight all the incredible transformative power of their work in our region. We hope that after listening to the pod, you'll be able to imagine our city's arts and culture ecosystem and all the awesome artists, organizations, and creative assets within it in a new way. I'm your host, Elizabeth Gasparka. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Creative MKE. The last episode of 2022. This week, you'll hear from Deb Bremer and Paul Salcedar from the Portrait Society Gallery of Contemporary Art, who spoke with me about the upcoming exhibition, Art Against the Odds, Wisconsin Prison Art, which features artwork and letters from over 60 incarcerated or formerly incarcerated individuals from Wisconsin. Before I dive into more details on this powerful exhibition, I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much for being here. But I also want to give a special shout out to the longtime listeners and supporters of Imagine MKE who have come along on this wild ride with me through lots of changes to the show and the organization over the past year. I am still here because I truly believe that we have a special creative scene and community here in Milwaukee, and it deserves to be highlighted, showcased, celebrated, and invested in. That is what this show is about. That is what the work of Imagine MKE is also about. There's so much invisible labor and intention that goes into the creative practices and projects of artists at all levels across all mediums. Even in a very lively creative scene, sometimes it can feel like these things are happening in a vacuum. This show is meant to be a small way of memorializing and celebrating these human and holy expressions. I say holy not because of any religious affiliation that I have, but in acknowledgement that creativity as a force is divine and it's straight up mysterious. And in my view, it's alive in everything that is good in our world. Anyway, this show is meant to be a platform to showcase the creatives in our region, and hopefully also draw lines of connection to show how creative work ripples out within community, economically, socially, emotionally, as a force for good. As we'll discuss in this episode, creation can also be an act of survival, resilience, and self-definition. Sometimes we're given opportunities as audiences to experience art that comes from this place, The artists who we will discuss in today's show are all incarcerated individuals or are formerly incarcerated individuals. Some of them are serving concurrent life sentences, and in at least one case, for a crime that the artist asserts he did not commit. What struck me from the conversation with Deb and Paul is that these individuals, they happen to be making work under conditions that are hard to fathom. Materials are incredibly scarce and their use is restricted. Creative programs are non-existent. Sometimes their artwork gets destroyed because of the circumstances of incarceration. And yet they are artists and they have to make their work. 
the results are incredibly profound. I hope you'll stick around for the fascinating conversation that I had with Deb and Paul to hear much more about these artists, their voices, their motivations, and the exhibition Art Against the Odds. If this kind of coverage in our community is meaningful to you, it would be wonderful if you would show your support. You can do so in many ways. You can do so by subscribing, recommending a great guest for me to feature on a future episode, sharing about an episode on social media, or leaving a rating or review wherever you listen. You can also follow the larger work of Imagine MKE, and I hope you will, by signing up for our newsletter, which is called The Amplifier, on our website, and following us on social media. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the Shepherd Express for their support. And I hope you all have a peaceful and wonderful holiday and a healthy start to 2023. And now more about the conversation with Deb and Paul on Art Against the Odds. Art Against the Odds is an exhibition curated and organized by the Portrait Society Gallery of Contemporary Art. This exhibition features artworks from about 65 artists, incarcerated individuals who, quote, turn to art to survive. Portrait Society is a contemporary art gallery with a broad roster of emerging and established artists. Established in 2008, the gallery showcases predominantly regional artists who cross boundaries of economics, gender, and race. Portrait Society is interested in project-driven bodies of work that explore the concepts and ideas of making art about identity, presence, social interaction, and community. The gallery director, Deborah Bremer, is an art historian who has curated numerous exhibitions and written about art for various publications for over 20 years. She regularly writes for the national art publication Hyperallergic. She was also the founder, publisher, and editor of Art Muscle magazine. Paul Salcedar is the gallery manager at Portrait Society Gallery of Contemporary Art. Please stay tuned for my conversation with them about Art Against the Odds, but first, a special offering. I reached out to Deb to see if she could supply me with some kind of audio file uh, to include in this podcast episode. And she was generous enough to share with me the files of letters written by these incarcerated artists to Deb and Paul and the viewers of the exhibition. And they kind of took my breath away. Um, so before we jump into the interview, I just want to share one of these letters, which is from inmate and artist Mario Ricketts and performed by Marcus Hart. Here it is. Mario Ricketts, inmate number 00646515, Racine Correctional Institution. My name is Mario Ricketts. I'm 27 years old, serving my seventh year of a 10-year sentence, and now seeing the way a pencil is meant to move. I'm an artist, but without my skateboarding life that I live, I wouldn't know what real commitment takes. It's not about the falls, but getting back up and trying again. I guess you can say there's art in skateboarding. I'm starting to see myself completely as a skateboarding artist. They call me Little Bill when I step on that board. But now I see another side of me when pencil touches paper is real. I make my art simply by what I see. Textures, shades, lights, 
and darts. Nothing seems to be hard or easy anymore, but consists of rather it's a lot or not much work to do with the pencil. In other words, I feel like I can draw anything. I used to always want to be the best to ever do it, drawing. But I just want to be noticed and leave something behind when my life comes to an end. I hope my art catches an eye, even in a hurricane. Anything is possible. Life is like a pencil. Sometimes we want to erase our mistakes and draw things over again in our lives. But with that pencil, we can do and make beautiful and extraordinary things. And when we erase, we're learning. It's just up to us to keep going. Sincerely, Mario Ricketts. Welcome, Deb and Paul. Hi, Elizabeth. Nice to see you both here. I'm so excited to speak with you about Art Against the Odds. But before we jump into the details of this important exhibition, I'd love for you each to just take a moment and kind of introduce yourself to our listeners by way of sharing a short story about a piece of art that has recently moved you or inspired you. Paul, why don't you go first? (laughs) <laughs> well, sure. uh, so, you know, one artwork associated with this project that I, it's just been one of my favorite pieces uh, in, in the show uh, has been a work by Joe Hickerson, who is incarcerated at Oshkosh Correctional Institute. And it, it is a, a, a paper Ferris wheel. It's almost six feet tall and it's made out of only pieces of rolled eight and a half by 11 computer paper. And it's completely functional. It works like a a piece of clockwork. You wind it up with this with this mechanism that's made out of cardboard gears and an old shampoo bottle filled with sand attached to a piece of string. And it runs for for almost 10 minutes once you wind it up, too. It really is this incredible piece of engineering. And, you know, it, it was really only thanks to working with working with Joe and, and with some really amazing staff at the prison, uh, Catherine Sobel, who is a unit director, and then Sharon Epaulette, who is uh, the, the warden of Oshkosh Correctional Institute, that we were able to actually transport that in, in a truck from the prison to Portrait Society. It really is kind of one of the most monumental pieces in the exhibition, I, I think. So I, I just am endlessly fascinated with it. This artist, Joe, who had no engineering experience whatsoever mm. was just able to become kind of a master at, at this paper craft. Wow. I, I got chills like three times as you were describing that. That sounds incredible. And so, so that's probably one of the large scale installations that's mentioned in the promotional materials, I assume. Now, that isn't exactly what that was referring to. The large scale installations are two cell sized rooms that are built in the installation. And one is a solitary confinement cell to the dimensions of a typical solitary confinement cell. And that cell has an audio component in it as well, in it. And then the other cell is 
kind of floor to ceiling with letters that we've received over the past two years from various, mm-hmm. from the incarcerated artists we're working with. We've received mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of letters. So, and in that cell, there's an audio component that our fiscal receiver, Feast of Crispian, it's a veterans theater organization. Um, some of their veterans read excerpts from the letters. Mm-hmm. So to bring those voices alive. So you'll be in that room and then there'll be the 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 sound of, you know, people reading these letters. Wow. That's such a vivid description. Why don't you tell us and and tell our listeners how this exhibition, Art Against the Odds, came to fruition? It's like a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to (laughs) condense, compress, and say it quickly. I started like a, a project six years ago called On the Wing, and it was a project that received its fiscal receivership nonprofit status through Feast of Crispian. And it was a way to balance out Portrait Society. Portrait Society is a commercial contemporary art gallery. I kind of wanted this component that could work on other, you know, like more nonprofit, less commercial projects. So for four years, um, On the Wing had a project at the House of Peace in Milwaukee, which is kind of a hub for, for various services. And um, we just sat at tables and drew in these sketchbooks. And it was amazing. It went on. It was every Tuesday for four years. We have amassed many, many sketchbooks um, through the project. And COVID shut it down. Mm-hmm. COVID completely closed down the House of Peace. And so um, during those early days of COVID, I was kind of like, hmm, it would be really nice to maintain something through this other project on the wing. What could we do? And we had been working with um, an incarcerated artist named M. Winston for, I guess it's been four years now, three years at least. And so I was kind of communicating with somebody in prison on a regular basis, weekly, if not, you know, by mail, by mail and by phone. And so, and Paul and I ended up, you know, taking M. Winston's work to the Outsider Art Fair in New York and... I mean, we were really he, he, we were really getting his work out into the world. He was um, he makes amazing tiny paintings of landscapes, kind of abstract landscapes. And so we thought, well, there's a need here. Like there's many, many other artists, you know, in the prison system. Why don't we focus a whole exhibition mm. on incarcerated art? So that's pretty much how it all came about about a little over two years ago. We started the project. Mm, thank you. That's really And M. Winston has remained an absolute guiding force. You know, he has been, he's in contact with us daily almost. So it's really been a great collaboration with him. Fantastic. So how did you initiate some of the other collaborations within the prison system? You know, once you realized and, and conceived of how you wanted this exhibition to grow and, and include more artists, where did you go from there? Well, early on in the project, I got to know Shannon Ross, who runs the community newsletter. He's formerly incarcerated, and he started a prison-wide newsletter while he was in prison. Mm -hmm. And he's been out. He's been out for some years now, and he's continued to grow and develop and then kind of be involved in many other uh, reentry organizations. So he's just an amazing human being. And he has been our consultant on the project. So... Mm -hmm. We reached out into the prisons through Shannon's newsletter. We sent kind of a notice, I don't know, I think maybe three times through the through the prison system. And pretty much immediately we were getting responses. And 
and very quickly realized that this would be perhaps a much larger project and exhibition than, you know, initially anticipated. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, initially I was thinking maybe we would have 20 artists, both incarcerated and formerly incarcerated, and we now have 64. Wow. And um, if we, <laughs> if the show wasn't just around the corner, I think we, we could just keep growing it and growing it. It's really hard to just cut it off at this point because we're, everything we get is kind of amazing. So we don't want to mm -hmm. say no. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much, that was the foundation of the project. And then there was all the strategic challenges of working with incarcerated artists that, that Paul can talk about. Mm. You know, I, I think what really makes this so different than a, a regular exhibition that we would do is, you know, we can't reach out and request images of, of work in advance. And so it, whenever we receive work for this exhibition or are communicating with artists about their work, it's always kind of in the absence of, of seeing any of this stuff until mm -hmm. someone actually sends the physical work into to us. And we, we've still like through about two years ago when we started this project, we were receiving work right away and we're, we're still, I mean, what was it two days ago that we got the, the amazing <laughs> examples of beadwork from, from someone, uh, mm -hmm. Shane Chivers is his name. And like it, it's it's been kind of astounding to to see this you know what what sometimes like a, a massive outpouring of work from the the prisons and sometimes mm -hmm. it's just kind of this constant surprise trickle of someone who you know has maybe been thinking about submitting work and then you know a, a month or two on then they finally either get the permission or they write to a family member who has a lot of their work and then they mm -hmm. send us this whole group of work and then it's a complete surprise to, to us like we, we had two more artists uh two weeks ago who submitted new work and, and we didn't even know any of that work was coming wow. so designing this exhibition has been tricky in in that sense as well too because we 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 had no you know, I, I don't think we had much of like an initial structure of mm. what anything was going to look like. We really had to let the work guide how the exhibition was going to look. Yeah. In many ways, it sounds like a very different process to stage this exhibition and plan for this exhibition, right? So in a traditional setting, if you were working with artists who were represented by another gallery, you'd be working with the gallerist and gallery manager and having professional images sent to you and then you'd vet those and you'd understand the dimensions and then sort of plan and plot everything around that. But it sounds like it's just been a really organic process for you guys. So I'm wondering, you know, instead of curators and gallerists, you know, as your collaborators, who are the folks who are making this possible? Well, as I said, Shannon Ross, who's formerly incarcerated, he's he's been absolutely crucial. Early on, we started having conversations with Marquette University's philosophy department. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's one professor uh, there, Jessica Wolfendale, who her area of expertise is, is kind of torture. <laughs> I guess oh my gosh. how she describes her, her, her focus. And so she's been a part of this project. And then the incarcerated artists themselves were in communication with them often, mm. either through emails, phone calls, handwritten letters, 
So there's just a lot of information that's coming in from them. We sent everyone who's participated like a questionnaire, mm-hmm. asking them about their art practice and what, you know, it feels like to be making art and mm-hmm. um, a little bit about their backgrounds, where they grew up. And so that's provided um, a rich body of information that, that we've incorporated into the catalog, which I don't know if we've mentioned the catalog yet. We're producing, it's maybe like minutes away from going to the printer, <laughs> a 187-page book that wow. accompanies the show that has five essays and artists and artist pages um, and, you know, wonderfully beautiful quality uh, photographs of the work in the show. Amazing. So, yeah. That's so exciting. And other collaborators really on this project, um, you know, it's it's been funded by many foundations. Mm-hmm. And and many individuals, there's over 100 individuals that have contributed to it. And the the foundations, like every time we got the support or or a grant, it really felt like this, you know, that it was this collaboration was growing and and that support meant so much because a, a project of this scale, we really needed people to believe in the project. And so it was just, you know, such, so great. It was so great. Fantastic. So obviously the artists who are creating this work to some extent have access to time and resources to create their work. And maybe it's, you know, involving a high degree of improvisation as in the case of the artists that you were mentioning before, you know, using computer paper to create an engineering, a feat of engineering and a sculpture. But what kind of artistic resources generally are available to incarcerated individuals? I can talk a little bit about it and then Paul can talk some more. But um, we have not heard of any educational programs in the prison system um, that really touch on the visual arts. Wow. So that means all of the artists in the show have just found their own way to make art. And sometimes there's there's community that forms there's there's mentorship that happens um there's you know an incarcerated individual teaching somebody else how to knit or how to draw or something like that but it's uh, all all pretty much self-generated which is remarkable when you consider the quality of the work that's been coming in so that's incredible mm-hmm. and then paul do you want to explain the system of how they purchase art and and get art materials yeah, yeah. So the, um, you know, the, the, the time consideration, of course, there's, you know, that that's usually not the, the limiting factor. The, the biggest limiting factor usually seems to be access to uh, mm. supplies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that seems to vary quite a lot by institution, but also by, you know, if an individual has like family members on the outside who are able to give them some financial support to purchase these art materials, you can't, you know, all, all art materials have to be purchased through the prison's hobby department. There's, there's one supplier, so there's no, you know, there, there's no competition for that, that business. So things tend to be pretty expensive for some like the, the worst quality um, supplies. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's all these weird limitations on what you can order too, because two weeks ago, one of our artists had run out of glue. Mm-hmm. And he asked if I would purchase a bottle of glue. And he was very specific about the number of ounces it could be. 
And so I really, then he explained that he can only have one bottle of glue. I think it was four ounces at a time. Wow. In cell. So when he gets close to running out of glue, he has to order another bottle and it could take two weeks from this supplier to even get that bottle of glue. So it's all very carefully, carefully managed and regulated. And there's, there's a lot of obstacles to securing materials. And therefore we have a lot of artists who are very inventive and and, um, you know, using all kinds of materials to figure out a way to to be creative, to make something. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very extreme version of an artist being inspired by the limits that they have to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about what what is being expressed in the works that you're going to be showing through this exhibition. What are some of the stories and what are some of the voices sharing through their work? Well, um, I guess I come back to this idea that it probably won't be what people think it will be. (laughs) Let's put it that way. It's full of surprises. And, you know, everybody has their preconceptions of what art might come out of a prison setting, Mm. maybe from popular culture and media and whatever. But um, it's so varied and and overall, it's it's really very positive and mm. relatively joyous kind of outpourings, which I think surprised us a little bit. And so to just manage the, the variety and the amount of work, we divided the exhibition into six thematic sections. This will help give it some bones and some structure for the visitor walking through. Um, and those, those sections are solitary confinement. The notion of time and seriality, portraits, landscapes, correspondence, and the scarcity of materials. Mm. So we have work in that is about the carceral system and about issues of being imprisoned and what it feels like to be imprisoned. And we have work about that's full of dreams, idealized landscapes portraits of of musicians and and actors actresses um family members the scarcity of material area is probably has the most variety one artist we have a uh, like maybe a hundred of these works that will be presented in a grid and he ripped up milk cartons little individual milk cartons and juice cartons from you know the lunchroom and made these little creatures. He calls them milk monsters and they're kind of these wonderful little characters. Yeah. And then I, I would just say that the other surprising aspect of the show is, is really just overall the quality of the work. I mean, I think Paul and I were just surprised again and again and again by how good the work is, how refined, how thoughtful, the, all the care in the rendering and the skills that, that are developed. So what are you hoping that the artists who participated in this exhibition and in this catalog, what are you hoping they're going to take away from this experience of having their work shown and and seen by a wide audience? Well, I I think for so many of the artists and, you know, Deb Deb and I both have have done a lot with corresponding and taking phone calls with all the artists involved. So this, this show really means the world to a lot of, of these artists and they, you know, for, for many of the artists, we, we have a, a pretty substantial amount of 
people with life sentences in this exhibition. So this is like one of very, very few opportunities to engage with the outside world uh, that many of these artists have. So that, uh, that, that idea of just engaging in, in the world in a positive way is an opportunity that this exhibition brings to a lot of these artists. And I, I know, you know many of the artists have said so much that this is, you know, they're really thankful for the opportunity to do this. And it, it feels just great to provide that opportunity as well. But, yeah. You know, a more, one, one last thing I'll add is that from a more um, banal point, you know, something I, I didn't really consider at first going into this project was that a lot of artists have sent us their work from a, from a desire for the preservation of the work as well. Mm. You know, to, to not have the, the cells searched and to always worry that these artworks are so in danger of just being taken away, confiscated and thrown away. Wow. And you know, putting them somewhere either in our hands or in the hands of family members where the artwork will be protected, even though if they send the artwork out, we can we can't ever send it back to them. So the artist then kind of knows that their artwork will be will be kept safe. Wonderful. Now turning to the audience, um, you know, this this exhibition is first going to be shown here in Milwaukee in Wisconsin, a place where the rate of incarceration particularly of black males in our state is horrendously high. I think it's the highest in the nation. That's right. Mm -hmm. So what are you, what are you hoping that this exhibition will mean to a Milwaukee and Wisconsin audience? What are you hoping that, that people who experience the exhibition will take away from it? I think it's at least twofold that, you know, we hope that some of these issues of the carceral system are just exposed and that people understand some of the problems with the system and how this mass incarceration in Wisconsin and in the country is, you know, it undermines the whole foundation of, of society, basically. And so there's, there's just so many aspects to it. It's very complicated. And, you know, we hope that the show opens up some of that and discussions about it. We have two pa two two panel discussions. One will look at broader issues of incarceration, and then the second panel will be feature artists, formerly incarcerated artists who are in the show, so they can speak directly um, to their experiences, and maybe through that come land on some messages about what what enables better, uh, what might be a better system, and what enables better reentry back into. Mm back into society. But then also, I think that, you know, anybody, this world is an invisible world. You know, these, these, the 36 prisons in Wisconsin, like, you know, they're, they're all over in, you know, kind of these hidden areas, you don't see them when you drive down the road. And so there's 41,000 people <laughs> in Wisconsin who are in these prisons. Wow. And we don't, ever know you know we don't know who they are we don't know anything about them we don't know their stories we only know about their crimes mm. and so hopefully this exhibition will allow their humanity to be put forward and and also just this kind of evidence of their of potential mm. that you know yes people make mistakes and and you know cause great deal of pain but you know there is this potential to be something else, to be something better. Mm. And I think that is really a pretty clear, clear message of the show. 
evidenced in, in these handmade objects. What role do you think creativity plays in the lives of these, these individuals? Well, I, I think it's kind of a, you know, almost a, a life-saving practice. Like for, we just were talking with, with one of our artists yesterday, who's now out of prison and, you know, realized that the, the first time he, he ever started really drawing was after he received a cancer diagnosis in, in, in prison. And it was this way of kind of working through grief, almost this act of, of therapy for, for him. And, you know, for so many artists, it, it's been this you know, heartbreaking experience of hearing these, you know, asking artists, like, how did you first come to, to, to start making arts? And for so many people, it comes at this point of like incredible despair. You know, one, of, one of our artists, uh, Sean Riker, he, he started uh, artwork after, you know, con- considering committing suicide. And then, you know, he, the, the Bob Ross show with Bob Ross painting came on and he was touched by how, how kind of peaceful and tranquil and, and, mm-hmm. and happy this, uh, this landscape painter was. And, and now he's, you know, he's sent us over 80 of his landscape paintings wow. and he just kind of keeps on constantly producing the, these landscape works so for for a lot of artists it is this kind of life-saving thing i I think for many artists too it's a little bit you know there's of course an element where it's you know passing the time and i think the the practices that are kind of just as as unique as as the artists like everyone comes to to making art for very different reasons and and it, it 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 comes out it's very evident i think in the artwork like why the artist makes thank you so the show is opening on January 16th and there will be an opening celebration on the 19th. Is that correct? That's right. Great. Okay. So where will the show be traveling to after, uh, after my ad? It goes to Manitowoc, the RAR West Museum. And then it goes to Green Bay, the Neville uh, Public mm-hmm. Museum. And, and we're still trying to figure out a, place in Madison. And we're talking to Intuit Arts Center in Chicago would would like to host the show, but we haven't finalized that yet. Wonderful. Yeah. So how can our audience learn more about Art Against the Odds in the meantime? Well, we have a website, artagainsttheodds.com. And very soon we will have a book catalog that will be available on that website. And they can come to the show and they can listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. All right. Well, my final question for the two of you to consider. So as part of the Creative MKE podcast, I have the power to bestow some imaginary powers on the two of you. So I'm going to dub you as the imaginary leader of arts and culture in Milwaukee, in the city of Milwaukee. But your tenure is only going to last for the remainder of this episode. So you have to act quickly. And my question to you is, what is the first policy that you would like to enact as the leader of arts and culture here in Milwaukee? You go first, Paul. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) it's a tough one. That's a tough question. Gosh, I mean, maybe maybe a, a, a larger 
budget for, uh, for like muralists and, and artists, you know, making kind of public art in spaces. I, I think that would be a, a fabulous program to have. Love it. More public art. <laughs> and, you know, I, my mind keeps going to, um, maybe because it's winter and it's gray here and, you know, all the color has been bled out of our world, but like just a, a city that has more green spaces for gathering for people to come together for, you know, like spaces that are really like, I don't know where children and dogs and all types of people could, can hang out all around the city with mm. some green, with some green, with some trees and crap. Maybe in a greenhouse. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> more <a> domes. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. Just yeah, places to gather, and mm. uh, and uh, you know, I also keep thinking about you know the problems with gun violence in Milwaukee, and and I would love to see the city have a put down your gun day where um, you know and start campaigns that somehow keep this an issue, mm -hmm. keep it out there in front of us. Mm -hmm. I like to think that it will just go away, but it, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. Maybe the two of your policies can merge and public art can be made <laughs> to address and uh, take up this mantle. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much to both of you for your time today. I'm really excited for this incredible sounding exhibition. It just sounds like a deeply emotional process for, for both of you to have played the roles that you have in organizing it. So I wish you the best in uh, bringing it to a completion and yeah, I look forward to the results. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for hosting this, Elizabeth. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review, or contact us. Creative MKE is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Elizabeth Gasparka. The show's theme music was written and produced by Bobby Drake. To catch all the latest from Imagine MKE, hit us up at Twitter and Instagram at imagine underscore MKE or Facebook. Imagine MKE.